Apostates Anonymous, the show you turn to when you're no longer an evangelical, with your hosts, hosts, authors Keith Giles and Matthew J. DiStefano. Hey everybody, welcome back to whatever the hell this podcast is. I do so many of which one is this? This is Apostates. Yes, Apostates Anonymous. Um, I'm Keith Giles, joined by my co-host, Matthew DiStefano, and no one else. This one is just the two of us. Just the two of us. What's up, man? How are you? Hey. How are you? How are you? Yeah, we're both um, just waking up and and, uh, getting our Are you just waking up? We're recording at 7 a.m. It's Uh, uh, 8 a.m. there. Yes, normally I'm I'm uh, just barely rolling out of bed around this time. Oh man, you are lucky. I get up around. I got up at like five fifteen today. Oh, I'm an damn. early riser. I need to get my day started. No, I mean I get up. Uh, I mean, I, normally I probably do get up around seven. Because um, like once the sun is up, I'm kind of up. You but, wake up with um, the sun. Yeah, but you know but the truth. Yeah, but the truth is I. You know, I like sleeping in if I if I can, and most of the time I can't because I don't I don't have a job, so I can just yeah. <laughs> I don't have a job. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I don't do anything, I just don't have a, I don't oh. work for somebody else. You know what I mean? Oh, oh, you're one of those people. So I keep hours or whatever. Well, I'm still in that grind, so here's here's to not having a job. Hopefully, in the future someday. <clears throat> yeah, you got to tell me your secret. What's the secret? Why do you sell so many books? Um, what are you out there marketing or something? Yes, that is that is the secret. Yes, um, and that's not everything. You know what I mean? Like I definitely sell books, but um, it's like probably like a third of what I make is from my books. A third of is probably honestly my Patreon, and uh, another third is um, what's the other third? Oh, I do some freelance writing. And I've I've heard your OnlyFans is doing really well. You know what? It's really exploded since I started doing this bikini series. Um, yeah, it's been great. No, well, I thought I thought it was full nudes. I thought that was the point of OnlyFans. Well, we're working to that. See, I'm moving. I'm, oh. I'm teasing that out. See, you've got you got to you got to prime the pump. You can't start out like that. Then there's nowhere to That's go. True. You know okay. what I mean? You got to start I, off. I'll have to take the Keith Giles OnlyFans. You do class. you do an underwear series, you know, a couple mm. of weeks, and then you know, then they they start demanding you to take some things off. Then you know, then you do yeah. a topless and. Hey, you got to give the people what they want. It's true. That's what it's all And what about. they want is another advertisement from <laughs> the jackasses that bring you this show. And, you know, it really is uh, the best part of this podcast. I, I, I'd be interested to see the metrics, like how many people listen after, <laughs> how far do they probably, listen after the ad? That was I a funny I don't know if I want to know that. What are they talking about? Oh, never mind. Just get to the ad and then click off. Yeah, there's there's probably at least a 30% decline after the first seven minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into it. Hey, everybody. White Jesus here. I'll get right to the point. I'm disappointed in you. So very, very disappointed. Heretics, apostates. You all make a mockery of the truth that I was and still am a white, conservative capitalist. 
I mean, do you really think all that help the poor and bless the widow stuff was seriously me? That wasn't me. That was a hijacking of the true gospel that the only way to heaven is by pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. If you listen to progressive Christians, you'd think that I spoke more about helping out the least of these than hell, the gays, and Hunter Biden. But don't get it twisted. It's easier for a rich man to drive his own yacht than a poor man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Remember that the next time you spew your filth on this horrible, horrible show. I'll be watching and can't wait for the day where I force you to bow your knee to me. Until then, your Lord and Savior, White Jesus. Wow, wow. I'm not... Uh, okay. Well, I'm sorry we've disappointed... White, well, no, I guess I'm not sorry, actually. I'm kind of glad we've disappointed White Jesus. But, Poor White Jesus. Was that really even an ad? Like, what was he selling? Where do I? What website do I go to? Where do I send my I, money? I don't. I don't know if it was an ad or if it was just a warning. And maybe, maybe yeah. <clears throat> I really got to talk to our our marketing and <laughs> development team. Yeah. On what we're actually looking for in ads, like I just we hope need we charged him. We something. need product placement. Yeah. Well, yeah, we, I mean, we did, but you got to pay for that that space of time. Yes. And that's fine. That's all that matters is the paycheck I that comes so. in. Uh, if if white Jesus wants to warn our listeners, then you know what? Have at it. it this is uh, this is pure capitalism. If you got if you got the money and we've That's got the right. space, let's do it. That's right. And at least that part of it, white Jesus should be happy about. Yeah, we're all about you know what I mean. We're, we're all about that money. We're all yeah. about that money, baby. Speaking of which, let's talk about white Jesus. Well, let's not talk about white Jesus. Let's talk no. about something else. Yeah. Um, well, I think we uh, as as we always do. You know, looking, uh, we, we basically create our content calendar about five minutes before we hit record. So if, you, like, if, hey, you, if you haven't noticed yet. <laughs> yeah. What should we talk about? Uh, well, it's so funny because last night I had a friend over for dinner and, um, and he just started asking me all these questions about hell and heaven and what happens after we die and all that. And what's really funny is this guy. I mean, he's read my books and he, he's even been through like my square one and two courses. And so, you know, he he has sort of deconstructed that concept of hell. But he started off basically by like asking me like, you know, Keith, don't don't you ever have a moment of, of doubt or skepticism about hell? I mean, maybe you're wrong. And uh, I was like, no, not even a little bit. Not a nothing. No, no, not even a bit. Because it's when you study eternal conscious torment and where it came from, first of all, you have what six thousand years of Old Testament uh where God doesn't bring this up, doesn't mention this one like you think he'd want to oh by the way um not not I not should have that. you know <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know it slipped my mind i meant I meant to tell Moses this, and then you know then we got all into that whole. Ten Commandments thing, and then you know I was gonna tell Isaiah, but then there was this whole thing about you know he was all caught up in this vision. So anyway, you know I never mentioned it. No, it's just ridiculous. So, and then and then actually you know the, the new the supposed New Testament texts 
aren't even about that. They're just anyway. I wrote a whole book about it, so I don't. I don't know if we want to go into the whole thing about hell too deep, but it just. I think where it comes from. Uh, I've noticed this phenomenon. People, maybe our listeners can relate to this, <clears throat> um, and spe- probably especially on this topic. But I think it applies to other deconstructed topics. But so you can deconstruct something um, intellectually, right? You can mm-hmm. you can you can do what I just did. Like, okay, I've studied it, I've looked at it. Okay, no, there's no evidence for that. No, that's not what this says. No, this this is all changed. No, no, okay, okay. So then intellectually, you deconstruct your view on that theology and you say, okay, that theology is bogus. It doesn't have any support, and so I, I'm not going to believe that anymore. But psychologically. Um, those tapes are still playing in your head, right? It's almost like you've been programmed for a year, especially if you grew up in the church. And so even though like one part of your brain can can just say, no, this isn't real. Another part of your brain is still hearing this little voice going, oh, but God is disappointed. God is angry. God is wrathful, you know, like, and so I think there's like some psychological deprogramming that has to go on mm-hmm. in addition to that to, to fully, completely get it out of your system. And for mm-hmm. it just takes some time. I always think about, you know, I, I haven't I haven't been worried about heaven, hell. I haven't even thought about it in ages. Right. And I always have to chuckle a little bit at uh just the the way Christianity or Christians or evangelicalism approaches the Bible. I mean, they put so much emphasis on it. And then and, and everything's literal, right? Of everything's course. literal. Until it's not. <laughs> and and then you you bring up a passage like well perfect love casts out fear right and so if I know perfect love which is another name for God according to the Bible mm-hmm. and why would I have fear about what happens after I die like it, if I know love and that fear has been cast out right why would I even have why why would I what, what do I have to worry about I mean I have I have life worries. I have, sure. I have some anxiety. We have chemicals in our body. We have trauma. We, we mm-hmm. hold trauma in our body. But as far as the afterlife goes, like, I mean, why would I have any fear? And also, shouldn't you have as much fear about the other religions that tell you you're going to hell? Why would I? I mean, right. so it's just like we stick to the fear that we were brought up in. But I would I would turn around to your friend and say, well, do you have any? Are you are you worried that you that Allah will send you to hell for not right. being a Muslim? Uh, I mean, the per- he well, would probably yeah. say, well, no, I don't have that. Um, are you worried that after you die, you're not going to get off the wheel of samsara? <laughs> and he'd probably be like, what the hell are you talking about? And you're like, well, right. I mean, w- do you have any fear about that? Why not? I mean, you should have some fear about that. I mean, we all should have some worry and some fear that we're not going to make it off the wheel of samsara. We're going to have to do it again and try again. Um, I mean, it's this absurd notion that what we're brought up in is the correct faith, and that's the one we better be fearful about. Mm-hmm. It's kind of mm-hmm. like debunking Pascal's wager is as easy as saying, well, I mean, hedge your bet for which God. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, so it's like, well, you, at the end of the day, like you're going to pick one. You're going to pick one, but there's all the others that you could get it wrong on, and they could be just as pissed and wrathful and yeah. send you to their version of hell, and, and you don't know which one you're getting. So it just gets into this absurd notion. You just come back to, no, I mean, I don't experience any sort of fear. I, I just don't. I'm not worried about that. Like you, I haven't thought about it in forever. I don't think yeah. about these things. I'm not worried about it. I don't care what <laughs> heaven looks like, and I'm not worried about it. Right. No, that's exactly right. And he couldn't believe 
that I, and I told him, I go, no, he goes, you don't think about it. I go, no, not even a little bit. Never. And he goes, never, no, never really seriously. Never. Seriously. Honestly, um, not lying. <laughs> yeah. Because it's, it's just done. I mean, I mean, did I used to, oh yeah, I used to really be afraid of it, you know? Uh, and I was afraid I would, you know, God was angry with me or I hadn't confessed my sins. And, but I mean, that stuff only has power over you as long as you kind of allow it to, right? The, as soon as you truly, truly deconstruct again, not just the theology, but even the psychological kind of uh, control that this has over you. Uh, and again, that's not easy. It takes time. Absolutely. It takes and, time. And I, think, and I think that's the part that takes even longer time. Yeah, I think so. It's like the, the theological is, is I'm not, I'm not going to say the theological is whatever, because it's important. Mm-hmm. But the people who get past the de- the theological deconstruction into the deconstruction of self, who yeah. am I? Who am I in relation to God? In relation to the world? In relation to one another? And deconstruct the trauma that you know we probably have. All those sort of things. I think that's where the the real work needs to be done. Yeah, absolutely. And it is. It's it is the hardest thing. I mean, because I think um, not to get us off on a tangent uh, too much, but uh, lately I've been studying um and i talk i touch on this a little bit in the solo mysterium book like the placebo effect and all this kind of stuff but I'm, i've been really been now continuing to look into like um hypnotherapy hypnosis um the unconscious mind i'm reading two different books right now on the subconscious and the unconscious mind from a psychological perspective and so not not from a christian perspective but just the human brain and and how we're influenced and it's fascinating. And what I'm starting to realize is how much, you know, religion and in my experience, specifically, you know, evangelical Christianity, um, it's it's a form of brainwashing. You know what I mean? It mm. it uh, it it uses all these kinds of things that are that are I mean, you can identify what they are. Right. The ways that an authority figure tells you something and therefore you believe it. Because really, I mean, uh, all the all the way into like our worship services, right, and the music and how that mm. basically is programming you, putting you into, mm-hmm. into a hypnotic, suggestive state, so that then when the pastor gets up at the pulpit and says something, you are open and you're going to accept it and believe it. Because I mean, really, when it when it boils down to it, um, we why do we why do we believe these things again? So. You know, you can deconstruct the theology, and then, but there's still something there, right? Like, so what is still there after I've uh, intellectually deconstructed the the uh, you know the components of the argument? Why why is it still holding on? Well, it's because you have been programmed, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's something that's still embedded in you that has to be deprogrammed, right? Mm-hmm. And then, so uh, you know, why do you believe? Uh, that the Bible, you know, has some authority. Well, because people told you it did, mm-hmm. right? If I handed you the Bible and, and you didn't know, you'd never seen the Bible before. It, it, you know, if, if I say to you, hey, look, um, here's some ancient writings, um, thousands from thousands of years ago, from people in the Middle East. Um, some of them were shepherds. Some of them were, um, yeah, you know, whatever they were different people, right? So they were shepherds, they were farmers, they were nomads. Um, you know, they this, these were their best ideas of what God was like. Some of it's interesting. Some of it you might find inspiring. Some of it's really weird. There's like murder and incest and rape and torture and genocide and 
uh, you know, that's the interesting part. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, it, but, but you know I'm saying if it was handed to you like that, you would just read it that way and you would go, Oh, that part was good. Oh, that part was weird. Oh, that's weird. But you wouldn't be like reading it and trembling in fear. <gasps> oh my gosh. Like God is telling me I have to do this or I am, mean, you know, or there's this great judgment coming. You only internalize that that fear because someone hands it to you and that's not what they say. They say, this is the word of God, right? As if God wrote this and mm-hmm. now it has this authority and then you reinforce it with, again, your authority figures and the church and all these kind of things that kind of in, that impart power and authority to those, to that text. And now you can't read it without being terrified, right? That it, this is it, you know? But the and, same thing would happen if you were raised in India or if you were raised in uh, sure. China or, or, you know, wherever, wherever you happen to be, they would hand you a different book and they mm-hmm. would give you a different set of gods and a different set of, you know, statements, right. but it would have the same impact on you. You would still be like trembling and terrified. If, to- if the approach, yes, if the approach was the same and we generally do this to our children. And so if yeah. I think back to, if someone asked Matt, when did you start believing in hell? I have no idea, right? Because it's like before my, my before my mind could like uh, think for before I could think for myself before the age where I go back and I, I have very sparse memories of my yeah. childhood from from yeah. that from that time. So it's probably all the weed, um, but <laughs> so it's all these things were were introduced into my brain into my body. Before I can even like have concrete memories, yeah. And many of us who grew up in the church are given that, so we we always then approach the texts with those suppositions in mind. I already believe in hell, therefore, when I read Jesus's words on hell, mm-hmm. the real Jesus, not white Jesus. Sorry, right. buddy. Yeah. Um, it's through that filter, right? When I when I hear when I see the word substitution or sacrifice. In the uh, New Testament, mm-hmm. it's through that lens because yep. the, it's it's through the narrative that was given to me. That's right. You know, when I see the word "God breathed" or "inspired" in Second right. Timothy, it's through the lens that the Bible is the Word of God. Yeah, and, and and none of that has been developed by my own thinking. Right. I mean, I mean, until you deconstruct that, until you have, so you have to deconstruct that. And so, what does God breathed mean? Well, what is what what could Paul or pseudo Paul have actually meant by that? Well, he pieced two words together. Okay, well now we're into a different ballgame here. Yeah, yeah. Or or when you have the sac- you know, the substitution or the sacrifice. Well, how would we have presupposed that in the ancient world? How is oh, the yeah. Christian narrative pos- possibly different? Yeah. When did this idea come about in the 1500s? Oh, okay. Well, that's different. So yeah. we have to unravel all that thing, including heaven and hell. So when we see the word hell or Gehenna in the New Testament, we have to unravel that. When we see heaven or the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, we have to undo the suppositions we bring into it. And what did the, I mean? What what were they talking? What were the words they were using? What did they mean when they were using them? Mm-hmm. Well, in the first century, it wasn't about like where you go when you die. It was, yeah. I mean, really the God, I mean, is there any reference to the afterlife in the New Testament? Not very much. And and what there is, is very sparse and kind of allegorical. So it's all about the kingdom coming to earth, right? Yeah. So it's really not, has nothing to do with about when we die. I mean, the, the gospel is good news now and here. It, 
Yeah. And if, yeah. if that impacts the afterlife, great. I'm sure it does. <laughs> That's not really our concern. Yeah. No, you made, man, so many great points there. So, yeah. I um, always do. Of course, you, of course you do. Um, no, but okay, yeah. First of all, like you said, the problem really does back up probably to the Bible and the, and the, the translation, the English translations we've been handed because they are loaded with like the ways that it, so a part of it is the way we're told to read it the filter like you said that we're told to read it through but even without the filter um the translations are biased in a certain way so that you know a word like multiple words like gehenna or tartarus or uh shale are all translated hell as if they're the same thing. And they're mm. none of them are the same thing. They're not the same thing. No. Um, Sheol is the grave. It's just where every everybody Where goes everybody goes. Everybody, yes. Yeah. Um, you know, Gehenna is a specific literal valley, the Valley of Hinnom, outside of Jerusalem, where they used to burn their garbage, and where um way, way back, a lot of the Jewish people for when they were worshiping Molech would burn their own children on an altar to Molech. And what's funny is that in those Old Testament passages, God speaks and says, you do this horrific thing, burning your own children in this valley of Gehenna, something that never entered my mind. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, so literally what it says is that God is saying, hey, it never entered my mind to burn my own children in Gehenna. Like, so let's what? put that as the metaphor for hell yeah. where God sends people. Right. Let's yes, do that. yes. Let's flip it around and say God says, oh, no, I am absolutely going to send my children there. <laughs> so anyway, so that's part of the problem. And then when you get to, like you said, too, this, it's the same thing with heaven because Jesus talks all the time in the Gospels about the kingdom of God, um, I think in Luke and Mark, and then Matthew, it gets, it gets um, transposed to kingdom of heaven. But that word heaven... We, I was taught, you know, you, you're taught to read it to the filter. Oh, he's talking about the place where we go when we die, you know, up there, out there. But that is not what, you know, the, all of the references to kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, they're interchangeable. And they're all about here and now, right? The kingdom of God is within you. It's not over there. It's not coming soon. It's not in a spiritual place. It's, it's within all of us. Mm-hmm. So, and it's here. And so uh, it's this reality we can enter, enter into now. And so you're right. That's the other thing that's really, uh, it shocks a lot of people. But like, if you go in the Bible looking for descriptions of the afterlife, you don't find very much. I think the closest we might get is Paul says something, but even then he's, he talks about it like a mystery. And he basically says, you know, uh, we will be like him and we'll be, we'll be fully known. But, you know, what we will fully be is no, no, I have seen, no ear has heard. Like, we don't know. It's, it's a complete question mark. So, um, you know, and that, and that scares a lot of people because I think they think that it does say a lot about that, right? Like we were saying before we hit record, like the streets of gold and, um, you know, the whatever, all that stuff, the pearly gates. And, but those metaphors of pearly gates and streets of gold are not references to this place we go after we die. Like in Revelation, it's a reference to this thing called the New Jerusalem. But the New Jerusalem is also in the same passage called the Bride of Christ, which is the church. So it's a metaphor for the, the, the body of Christ, the church on planet Earth today, that we are some, we talked about this in the last episode, we're supposed to be the ones calling out that the gates are open and welcoming people inside. Um, so yeah, it's when you realize we don't really know and, and this is really, this is going to 
piss some people off if they're still listening, but, um, they aren't, don't worry. They, they probably stopped a long time ago. Um, but you know, even if the Bible did give us some details about what heaven's going to be like, that wouldn't necessarily make it true just because right. it was in the Bible. I mean, right. sorry to say that there's a heresy button, right? But I mean, that would be what one guy thought it was, mm-hmm. but it doesn't prove anything. It doesn't, you know, we, we don't know what's going to happen. And you're right. People have a lot of issue with that. And I think they've, I mean, they've built their faith on certainty, which is no faith yeah. at all. And I'm sure you talk about that in Sola Mysterium. And yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we've talked about it on, in numerous places. And it's just, it's almost like, Going, moving from certainty to being able to doubt while having faith. Yeah. It's almost like a learning curve of like learning an instrument. It's really uncomfortable at first. Yeah. You're like, you can only play piano for a little while before you're bored out of your mind. You don't know what you're doing. You get to a place where you're like, oh, I'm actually okay at this. And you start to become more comfortable with it. And so once you get past that learning curve, it's beautiful. Yes. Um, and you realize, like, I don't know and I don't have to know what it's like. Mm-hmm. I trust that it is good and I'm good with that. That's the extent of what is heaven like? Oh, it's really good because it's really <laughs> yeah. good here. So it's yeah. based on it's based on my experience here. What is the kingdom of life here? It's in our midst. It's when you're at peace. It's when you're not anxious. It's when you're yeah. in the moment. It's when you're present. It's what, you know, for me, it's when you're gardening, when you're, uh, you know, you could be at the yeah. beach, whatever, you're, whatever it is where you're experiencing bliss. Yes. So that's good. Yeah. if that's what it's like here, I'm going to tend to guess that that's what it's like in the afterlife. Now with hell, the same thing, but on the opposite. It's when there's suffering, when there's evil, when there's injustices. Yeah. Now, will that be experienced in the afterlife? I don't know. But if I, if I harbor resentment through my last breath, then there might, there might be some sort of purging experience that is not comfortable. Yeah. And that might be hellish. But if God is good, then anything that happens to us by the hands of God, so so to speak, yeah. is for our own benefit. Mm-hmm. You know, we can never we, we can never, you know, we do this thing to justify hell, whether God sent us there, or we send us our we send ourselves, whatever your argument for that is. It's like God can parse out God's attributes within the church. <laughs> right. Like he can be loving, but then turn around and be wrathful and 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 you know, so and they always try to do this. It's almost as if they'll say, oh, you progressives just overemphasize love. And it's like, well, no, it's, it's that you overemphasize God's angry attributes. Right. You know, as, if, as if God has like, as if God, any, anything we say about God can be removed from God's love. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and we don't see it through that filter. You yes. know, if we talk about God's wrath. Well, why don't we put that through the filter of God's love? Just like God is love. It actually says God is. He doesn't have love. He is. He doesn't have love. He is love. And if we use the metaphor, if you know, my if my daughter is bullying someone, she doesn't bully. But if she came home and we found out she was bullying someone, I might be angry. I will be angry. So that's not how we raised you. You know, turn it around on you. How would you like to be bullied? You know, whatever whatever the conversation would look like. You could say, "Oh, Matt's really angry." We could even say Matt's wrathful. But it's not going to be removed from my, uh, you know, unending love for her. Right. But why do we do that for God to justify yeah. hell? And it doesn't make yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's like, um, especially when it comes to that eternal torment thing, it, it 
Eternal flies, torment. My God. I know, eternal. And it flies in the face of even, even Old Testament passages, right? There's a verse that says, I think it actually says this twice, two different places in the Old Testament, that God's love, <clears throat> that, that's, it, it, what it says is God's anger is for a moment, like, you know, boom. His anger is like a like a snap, like a, a second, like a blip. But his love endures forever. So what, what endures forever is God's love. If God has any wrath, it's in, a, it's in a second, it's in a moment, and it's gone. But eternal torment flips that around backwards and says, oh no, oh no, uh, inerrant scriptures, you, you got it wrong. It's God's love that's for a moment, and it's his wrath that endures forever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, uh, um, gosh, I was going to say something uh, out of what you were in response to what you just said. Maybe it'll come back to me. Um, well, because... <clears throat> Old man Giles. Damn, I should have wrote it down. <laughs> you don't take notes for this show. I know. Well, okay. So, but this whole thing though about, um, oh, that's what I was going to say. There it is. Um, I think that was a wonderful analogy. Like you were saying, like, you know, for if, if, if our listeners can think about times that they have felt God's presence, uh, hopefully there's been at least once in your life that you felt near to God or you felt God was close to you. Now, what did that feel like? Well, it probably felt really good, right? It, felt, it probably felt very peaceful and like you said, blissful and joyful and you just felt right. You felt this connection with God and, you know, it was like you didn't want it to end. Like, this is just really wonderful. Um, even people that have psychedelic experiences and they have a God experience, almost all of them do. They have this intense feeling of joy and love and acceptance and uh, light and peace and all this. It's beautiful, right? So that's what it's like to be in the presence of God, right? It's good. So um, if we die and we are, I, I, this is the other thing too, but this is, came up in our conversation last night when my friend was asking me, don't you, aren't you afraid of all of all that? And I was like, I said, no, because here's the thing. I believe that I'm already connected with Christ. Like I, I am, I am in Christ and Christ is in me. I'm abiding in Christ, Christ abiding in me right now. It's, I mean, this is already reality. I couldn't exist apart from Christ, right? That, um, and so if I'm already connected to Christ now, then when my body dies, I'm still connected to Christ. Only just in, I'm more, I'd be even more aware of it. I'd be more conscious and cognizant of it, um, because all the distractions of the world are gone, right? But so then, all that remains is that connection that I have with Christ. And when I, when I'm, when the more I'm aware of that connection, it's a good thing, right? It's a, it's a beautiful, positive, peaceful thing. And so, mm-hmm. I can just extrapolate, as you were saying, that that's what the afterlife would be. It would be uh, an accentuation uh, of that connection with God, and it's good. It's always good. I've never never had an experience of God that was not good. Yeah. Yeah, the whole in the whole cry I know we uh you and Jamal went back and forth on it forever and He was right by the way. Oh god, I hope he doesn't listen. I hope he doesn't <laughs> hear you say that. No, he was right. He was right. Oh, I know. I was I wrong. Was. I'm just going to admit it right now. I was Look wrong. Look at this. I repented. I repented. <laughs> I'm grateful. I'm very grateful for Jamal. Uh, wrestling with me on that because yeah, it took me a long time to turn the corner on that. But once I did, I was like, I don't know how, I mean, I I do know why. See, it's similar to what we were just talking about, right? 
I had been programmed my whole mm-hmm. life to believe that no, unless you pray the prayer, unless you're a Christian, you are not in Christ. And that was my programming. And it didn't matter how many times he showed me other verses that actually contradicted that. I, it just went against my programming. I'm like, no, 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 they can't be right. They can't be right. Until eventually, just, you know, the more I wrestled with it, every time we argued about it, every time he brought it up again, right? It came and it did come up a lot. Um, I had to wrestle with it again and again and again until eventually I just realized, what am I fighting against? You know, like, no, this, this is what it says. This, and I think it's true. And then when you start seeing, this is what's amazing too, is then um, as I've started looking uh, outside of Christianity at, at other religions, I've been reading this, some amazing books on like uh, Native American uh, mythology and, and spirituality. Um, and so in Australia, I talk about, you know, Rumi and Socrates and, you know, all these other uh, mystics and things like that. And what's funny is, you know, you see them saying the same thing. Right, they're affirming the same ideas that that we're all in Christ, or that we're that God and 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 humanity are intertwined. And then you realize, like, wow, this is like a universal truth across all these different faiths and religions and mystics and things like that. And like, and then you see it even bleeding into now uh, quantum science. Like, well, holy crap, <laughs> this seems to be a pretty pretty big deal. Um, so yeah, I'm really grateful, really grateful for Jamal for pushing me. I think that's a it, that's a foundational thing because then then it will impact you know if you because I think in Christianity we just we get the order wrong. Yes, it's like we we do the we do the action that brings about Christ into our lives rather than right. We can't exist apart from Christ, so then acknowledging it and we'll experience the world differently. That's the mm-hmm. order it should be. Yeah, um, you know it's kind of like, and when we say. You know, I I, I, I I have no problem saying that I and Christ are one. I, I in, in a way, we are Christ. We are not the totality of Christ individually. Right. right. But we it's like saying the wave is the ocean, but the wave is not the totality of the ocean. Right. Um, when we acknowledge that, how can we not see heaven and hell as just a present realities that we bring about? And how can we not see hell as something that eventually gets done away with? Right. And so, you know, we, I, I, when people say, Matt, are you worried about hell? Yeah, I'm worried about hell. I mean, it's 120 degrees in the summer in, in California. <laughs> we have perpetual wars and viruses and, you know, food shortages and gas. I mean, so there's a lot of hells Mass on earth. Mass shootings and, yeah. Mass <clears throat> shootings. Yeah, my God. Um Racism in, in America, we still have yep. that. So we have a lot of hells. I don't, but I don't think, I don't think that goes on forever. I think, I think the Buddhists do get it right that there is an end of suffering right. for all sentient beings. Yes, it's not going to be in my lifetime. Right. Um, but all we can do is bring about more he- more heaven and less hell in our time here, and the yeah. afterlife will work itself out. And you know, I'm pretty confident about that. Yeah, and see, this is also something too. Um, I mean, on one level, human beings have always had this question, right? What, what's? We don't know what happens, right? We die. You see somebody die. They're they're there, and then they're not there, and then so we go well, where they go, and what what's happening now, right? And so we can't help but you know question that and and wrestle with that and come up with stories of where we think 
it's what it's going to be. But um, so I, I mean, I get it. We're not. We're probably never going to stop questioning this and trying to figure this out. But the truth is that that's a distraction, right? And for a lot of Christians, it's definitely a distraction. When Christians will um, push things off to the afterlife, right? Oh, God will take care of that in the afterlife and or, or with the second coming, right? It's either going to be heaven or the second coming of Jesus. But at any rate, we Christians have this bad habit of offloading, you know, their life and joy and pee. Well, that'll, that'll be when we die. That'll be after we go to heaven, whatever. Well, no. What if, what if, as we said, the only thing Jesus really talks about when he talks about uh, what the, his main thing is the kingdom of God and it's here now, it's within you. And so it's, it isn't later. That's the mo- the important thing. It's now that's the important thing. Um, and we definitely can get too distracted by what's going to happen later. Um, and uh, because it's, we should be focused on right now, right? Your life right now, the people around you, uh, your neighbors, like all of that is what matters. Yeah, and it and it matters without if heaven and hell in the afterlife, or even if the afterlife doesn't exist in any sort of form, That's I'd right. say, does this moment still matter? Well, my my experience of it does. I mean, yes. this podcast might not matter too much, but other th- <laughs> <laughs> other things do. You know, um, yeah. no, I'm kidding. This podcast matters, but it absolutely matters. You know, every 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 moment matters. Re- on its own. Every moment stands on its own two feet. You know, we don't, you know, we don't need, people ask me that all the time. It's why the first chapter in Heretic is, well, if all are saved or, you know, if universalism is true, does Jesus not matter? Well, of course Jesus matters. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, for, for Christian universalists, Jesus is of utmost importance sure. for pluralistic universalists, Jesus still matters. He might not be your Christological might your your Christology might not be as high. Sure. But still matters. Yeah. I mean we don't we don't need eternal rewards or punishments for our actions to matter. Right. Now, that's that's a misnomer. That's that's again going back to the programming. Yeah. And I think um in some ways if if this life is all there is, I don't think that's true. I do think that, um, you know, this whole idea that we're basically energy and energy can't be destroyed. And, you know, so I, I do think that I do honestly believe that, but I can't say I know, not certainty, but I believe that when I die, when my body dies, my spirit, my soul will continue to exist and will maintain a connection with Christ, with God. And will now, now but, but what happens after that? No idea. Am I just going to exist in this disembodied energy kind of spiritual state for for eternity? Maybe. Am I going to be reincarnated into another body later on? Maybe. Um, Maybe I mean, we choose. Maybe we chose this. Yeah, we have no idea. But even if all of that isn't true, um, like your, your statement about like, well, does this matter? I mean, if none of that is true, if this is just it and we die and it's over, then this matters even more because this is yeah. the point of everything is this moment, this life you have right now, because there you don't know what's going to be after that. So mm-hmm. this is it. This, this life is a gift. And um, so many, and the odd thing is in many ways, if, if Christians could let go of this idea of heaven or hell, 
it might actually make this life mean more to them because it would it would force them to keep their attention on their life right now and making this life matter and mean something. Mm-hmm. I will say that I do have a problem with there being no afterlife at all. Right. And, and the reason, I mean, there's, I have, a, I have a couple problems. One of the big ones is that there is so many injustices in the world. Yeah. That some people's existence is simply suffering and then dying in, in an unjust way. Yeah. And so I have to think that for the, for the many oppressed groups, minority groups, sexual and racial minorities, especially, um, that if there is, if the universe, if there's any justice in the world, I think there has to be some sort of quote unquote afterlife. Otherwise, it doesn't seem that there is any justice in the world for many, many millions of people. And so, and so I, I, yeah. I get the fact that, you know, atheists will say this is all there is. And then it's like, well, maybe. However, then, then, the, then the universe is a very cold and dark place and we can bring about some justice for people, but not much because most people die without justice. Or, or too many die without justice. Right. So the, this is a uh, this is a interesting topic because um, I kind of thought we might get here um, because I was thinking. I mean, I hear what you're saying, and I know we all have this internal desire and need for basically a, a post death kind of judgment, right? I mean. I think this is where the idea comes from. It's because there, we see so much injustice in this world. We mm-hmm. see we see people who are, uh, let's say, they're rich, they're powerful, they're famous, they're untouchable, they do all kinds of horrible things, they exploit people, they abuse people, they hurt people, and then they die in their mansion, and then they don't, you know, they there is no justice. They never answered for their crimes or whatever, right? Or whatever. There's all kinds of scenarios like this. Um, people suffer and they never get... Uh, justice. So I think that's partly why we we feel this need for, well, then God will fix that in the afterlife. Like in the afterlife, the scales will be balanced. It'll all be made right. And again, maybe, but I mean, just as a thought experiment, what if none of that happens? That's yeah, like, that could what if be, or, a, or reincarnation could be. What if we too. just die? That's and then we, we're, we're in the presence of God, and God says, I love you, I forgive you, and we move on. Like, you know what I mean? Uh, I, I don't know. Well, maybe, but, there, but maybe there's a big judge, maybe there's a big court case, you know, after we die, and God is judging, and uh, uh, I don't know, balancing those scales, but maybe not. I don't know. Well, and I, and I don't mean it in a way of like a punitive judge thing. I just mean if there's no existence after life. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I so that, that that's where, I, that's where I, I have an issue with that. Like, I, I'm not saying there has to be some sort of like um, re- retributive, retributing yes. whatever happened on here, some sort of karmic energy or whatever. I'm not uh, saying yeah. that has to happen. But all I have a problem with is if you die, you were like, let's say an ex- a slave exploited by... Um, white slave owners, and then you die at age 24, uh, heat stroke or something, or you got beat too much, or whatever the case may be, you experience no justice whatsoever. You die, you don't exist any longer. No consciousness, nothing. Yeah. Then then your life 
was an example of the universe being a cold, dark, horrible place for that person, <laughs> right? With no sort of, um, no sort of happy ending, no nothing. Yeah. So and so when people you know say that, well, that's that's the case. There is no God. There is no. There's nothing like that. There's no, yeah. no, no sort of justice for that person in any sort of way, shape, or form. Yeah, I, I have an issue with that. Yeah, no, I mean, look, so look, I agree with that. And I personally, my personal belief is that there is a God. We are connected to that God. And when we die, we will be, we will continue to be connected to that God. And we will experience life in some form post-mortem. However, <laughs> uh, and I think we've talked about this on this podcast before too. Um, it wouldn't be inconsistent, however, this idea of like what you just described, like, oh, that just seems sort of cruel and the universe is this cruel, you know, but I mean, you know, like you look at the animal kingdom, it's pretty flippant cruel, you know, like, you know, I talked before about watching that documentary about the octopus and yeah. just being like, damn, why is it like this? Like, why do we have, why is the animal kingdom this this circle of life it's really a circle of death brutal like it, it's, it's brutal man it's just it's heartless like and i when i look at the the universe like that and just our planet the way life on this planet is you know, like it sucks you know i don't get it you know i i, I want to i want to understand how if there is a god why did this god of love create a system of life on this planet that is so flippant cruel and heartless and just like, you know, for for, <laughs> for the mama lion to feed her cute little cub, she has to go kill and eat a baby gazelle. Like, well shit. I hate that. Doesn't the uh doesn't the black widow eat the the male spider and feed it to the babies? Right. right. So, like, so what I'm saying okay, is like so what the fuck? <laughs> cruelty is not uh inconsistent with the universe, you know what I mean? So I don't uh, get yeah. that. That's a part I don't I understand it, either. Yeah. Um, but I do think, but uh, yeah, I still, I still do believe though that we, yes, there is a God and yeah, I, uh, all of that, but it, it's hard for me to just on the basis of, well, that just wouldn't be, that would be cruel. Like, well, <laughs> there's a lot of cruelty. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I get it. I, I'm not saying it's not beyond the shadow of a doubt. Like, I mean, that might be the case. It, it yeah. might, but I'm just saying that would suck. That's that's all. I'm just saying, like, it, yeah, the universe may be a cool, cruel place, or or God may not be benevolent, or God may be a monster. I, right. I don't see any evidence of that. I have no reason to believe that. Can I be certain against it, though? I I don't know if certainty is the right word. Right. Well, I, I don't know if I can be certain. It's certain of anything, really. No, that's right. See, that's the that's the truth, you know. And it does boil down to, and I've said this before too. Like, <clears throat> so if I die, so let's say I die. And I go, you know, I leave my body and I come into the presence of the creator, you know, the source of all things. And it turns out that that being is a cruel, sadistic, you know, vengeful, wrathful being who says, you know, So whatever. in other words, a Calvinist? <laughs> yeah. I mean, so if that God does exist and that what is what God is like, um, well, what, what can I do about that? Right? Well, well, what the... If, if the source of the all life in the universe is a dick, then he's a dick. And, and, yeah. and I'm not going to change that. So, you know, I've always, no. and I, I say this half jokingly, but it's true. Like if I, if it turns out that that's what God is like, and I'm standing before that God, I'm just going to, I literally 
what else can I say except, you know what? I'm so sorry, God. I believed and I told other people that you were better than this. I -hmm. believe that you were a loving God, a merciful God, a kind God, a forgiving God. And I'm sorry. That's my great sin. I believe that you are better than you really are. So, you know, screw me. So what do can with I do me what that? you will. What are you going to yeah, do? What, yeah, exactly. Now, this, this all becomes nihilism at, at, at that point then. Yeah. Because then what are we supposed to do? Be cruel, vengeful, wrathful pieces of shit ourselves? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right. I'm not going to – I'm, I'm going to try not to do that. Right. Uh, so, yeah, exactly. Like, what are you going to do if you come across this guy? I don't know. I'll what think about it in the moment. What can I do? Tell him to fuck yeah. off? I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> reactive in that way. Like – Yes. You're, you, you're what? No, fuck you then. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say some stupid shit like that and then he'll banish me. That's what will happen. But I'm, am I worried about that? No, I'm not worried about that because I don't think it's reality. Yes. You know, but could it be? Well, I, I'm sure, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we have good reasons, like we were saying a minute ago. You know, we have good reasons. Um, Like, again, it's all experiential, but I would say... When I experience God, I experience something good and pure and kind and healing and forgiving and merciful. That So I believe that is the God. That is the source. That yeah. is the God I'm already connected to. And when I die, I will continue to experience that in greater measure. Um, so I, I, I don't know what else to base it on except that, you know? Yeah. And well, and that's that's what I got in trouble on uh Rose Bibles and beer is that I, I told him that my epistemology starts with experience. Right. And one of the hosts had a real problem with that. And, and I was like, well, my, it's not the end all of, of my knowledge, but it's sure. the start of my knowledge. You know, I, yeah. I trust other people that I find trustworthy. I, you know, I vet sources. I mean, there's other ways to gain knowledge other than experience, but I'd say the most, you know, primitive or not primitive but like primordial way to gain knowledge is to experience it that's right and one of the hosts had a huge problem with that and you know with oh so there's no objective truth and i I said no not necessarily but you tell me how you can approach it non-subjectively and we'll talk i mean i yeah i only experience everything subjectively so yeah my experience subjectively of whatever we call god is close to bliss and love and peace and yeah you know kind of a homeostatic presence in my body and mm-hmm. uh, relaxing and what you know all those experiences i don't experience i don't experience the god that i was taught so that's the thing yeah i don't experience i don't experience that right that's um, how i that's why i feel like that god is bullshit because i've never yeah, ever encountered I've never that yeah. god that's right exactly so you're 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 telling me something that goes counter to my experiences and that's when i have a big problem Mm-hmm. So if I experience something and you experience something and your experience runs counter to mine, then we kind of have an issue there, right? But I've got to go with my own experiences on that That's I right. mean, because I experienced it. But I don't think the Christians who are telling me about that God experience that God themselves. No. I mean, they're not sitting there like, oh, I experienced the white hot wrath of God. And it's like, <laughs> well... I well, really yeah. you did. You felt like you were a spider hanging over a fire, and you know. But uh, but but at the same time, though, like I have had conversations with people who, again, going back to this idea, of this this programming that we we received again, most of us as as kids. Um, who I mean, I had a friend of mine once who told me, like, "Oh, I was driving in my car, and I felt like God say to me, 
okay, I will forgive you this time, but this is the last time. And if you blow it again, I'm not going to, I'm not going to forgive you anymore. And I was like, dude, that was not God. You know, that's the void. That's your parents. That's your pastor. Yeah. That's, that's programming that you have, some people have told you, you that that's how that. God talks. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But I'm telling you, that's not God. <laughs> that is because it doesn't even make sense in your own theology. What? So grace is like, has a limitation. Like, oh, I give you grace, but I'm not going to, but that's it. Like, what? So you're saying that the God truly expects that from this point to the end of your life, you will never make a mistake again. Really? Yeah. That see, seems- see I've, ex- I've experienced that too. And then I realized it was my own negotiations. Of course. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, exactly. yeah, I, I've had those, I've had those internal, oh, this is the last time or, you know, those, those conversations, it's like, wait a second, that was just my own, my, <laughs> my own psychology, the own things that I was taught. Like I was taught those things. That's exactly right. So I didn't experience some tabula rasa, void of any sort of right. presupposition, any sort of filter and grid. Like I can look back and go, yeah, I... I don't remember the time I was taught that, but I remember it was always taught that way. And so yes. undoing those those programmings, uh, unfiring those synapses, whatever language you want to use. Yeah. Uh, and then you experience God and you're like, oh, well, I, I don't experience those negotiations. Those negotiations are just my own internal dialogue. Yep. That's exactly right. Yeah. So. <sighs> yeah, man. Uh, well, good stuff. I hope. Uh, those of you who are still listening, enjoy this podcast. I don't know why you do, but you do. So that's good. <laughs> no, but if you do, please rate and review this show. We have a great time doing it every other week. I mean, basically, you every every week you get at least the Heretic Happy Hour or a portion of the Heretic Happy Hour with us too. Right, so right. And don't forget, you also get Second Cup with Keith. So... Oh, yeah. I forgot about that show. Uh, yeah. Well, you produce it, so don't forget about it. In fact, I have to record one and send you one, I think, right? Or... Uh, let me check my handy whiteboard. Oh, yeah. I'd... When was your last episode? It was this week, wasn't it? I don't know. Yes. I remember. It came out on Tuesday. So, yeah. So, I owe you one. No, that's it. I, I do like Second Cup with Keith. I um, it's It's hard for me to... Like I did Apostates Anonymous by myself. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for me to think that you can do a solo podcast for a long, long, long time. But I'm just projecting myself onto you. Sure. A lot of people do it. I listen to Bill Burr, still his podcast, and it's just him. Yeah. Uh, I listen to Dan Cummins, and it's just him. For me, it was just very difficult to do something myself and to keep it interesting for 30 or 45 minutes. So God yeah, bless it, you for it doing is, that. It is hard. Well, sometimes it's only 30 minutes. I mean, I don't. I, yeah. I, I just talk until I'm done. So some of them yeah. are 30 minutes, 45 minutes, some are an hour. Um, yeah. It is, I will say, no, you're right. It is challenging a little bit. Like I, uh, I do also have a whiteboard. I have a spreadsheet where I'm like trying to keep track of what my topics and what have I talked about and coming up with new topics and yeah. things like that. But um, yeah, so far, I mean, here's the, I guess this is the thing. I'll keep doing it until I run out of ideas and then I can't do it. And then I'll just stop. Right. Yeah. And that's okay. I, I, that's okay. I think it's realizing like as a creator, like some things just run their course. Right. You know, shows, some of our favorite shows, The Office. It's like, well, looking back, it had to end. Like, would I want new Office episodes? A part of me, yeah. But yeah. at the same time, like 
some sometimes things run their course and yeah. they have to they have to find they have to have a finality to them. Yeah, and, and like everyone knows, The Simpsons should have ended like ten years ago. Yeah, it just keeps going. And, it sucks. How many years? <laughs> I haven't watched it. It, it. it sucks now. Oh, dude, it's been sucking for like ten years. Yeah, uh, oh, it right. was yeah. it was genius for the maybe the first ten years. Uh, but then it just like, oh, it just started getting really, really bad. It's because all the writers, about- all the writers <laughs> left. I mean, the original writers for the, like the first initial seasons of, of the Simpsons were like Conan O'Brien. And the original writers, people. yeah, all got big. Oh, yeah. And, and then they all got, their big, got their own shows and yeah. And yeah. then then left the show. And then the new writers that came in weren't as good. But man, those writers on the first like five seasons are solid gold, man. They're amazing. That's how I felt about family guy too. Like it was really funny for like 10 years. And then I was like, I've heard this joke 19 times. <laughs> right. And they have the little bits. Yeah, so. They have a little like the chicken yeah. fight, which was funny the first time. But then after a while, like, okay, right. don't do another. Well, one. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's like, maybe it gets funny after you do it so much. Like it, it's like that. It's like the running gag we had on heritage happy hour. Like it yeah. was really funny when Jamal announced the, <laughs> hotline right after we did or you i don't know yeah that was spontaneous like that was an accident yeah. and it was caught and so tape. and so making that joke was funny for a while then it got old and right. then it got funny again because it went on so long right so maybe right. they're just pushing through the awkward phase yes and that is true that, that's it that is the uh that's an interesting phenomenon like there was a guy i was at a party one time for a friend of mine a birthday party for a friend of mine and this this kid uh, I didn't know him at the time. I know him now and he's, I think he's, he's awesome. He's hilarious. But anyway, this kid just gets up and we're on the backyard of this guy's house and there's a microphone set up and this kid just gets up and starts telling totally deadpan these really bad jokes, right? Just kind of like, but mm-hmm. the, the thing is, and so at first it was like, oh, what is this guy doing, man? This is stupid. But then it was relentless. He just kept going and going and it reached a point where it was hilarious. Because mm-hmm. it was relentless. It just kept going and going and going. And then it was like, it didn't matter how bad the jokes were. What was funny was that he didn't stop. <laughs> he just kept going. Yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah, so yeah, that can happen. So who knows? Maybe yeah. uh, maybe if Second Cup gets that way, I'll just be relentless. And I'll just keep going. Just push <laughs> through. Push through the pain. Push through that. Yeah. All right. Well, oh. until next time, everyone, rate and review. Head on over to iTunes. Give us a rating. It doesn't take very long. Do mm-hmm. your part, people. Do better. Yeah. Yep. Support you know our sponsors, please. Yep. Don't support white Jesus any longer, though. <laughs> That's right. No. Abolish white Jesus. Hashtag make that trend on, on Twitter. Abolish white Jesus. That's right. All right. Love y'all. Bye, Keith. See you guys. Bye.